Lord, we've heard Your Word read, and um, we ask now that You would, by Your Spirit, open our eyes and our ears that we might hear it for our good, for our joy, and for Your glory. Lord, I'm thankful for my friends tonight, and I pray that You would be with them. Some of you, some of them, Lord, need You desperately. Um, they're hurting, they're aching, and they're, they just they need to hear that You're real and that You have something to say in the midst of their story. And so I pray that You would do that tonight. And some of them, Lord, come here longing for a drink. You are the living water. And so we ask that You would meet them as well. And Lord, for others, um, they're questioning. And they're wondering if this faith that they have held on to for years or for perhaps a few months is real and it's true. And so I pray that You would grant insight to them that they might know with confidence that You love them. Or wherever we're at, um, as you well know, we're all in need of you. And so we ask that you would come and meet us tonight. We ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen. So um, I'm glad to see everybody here tonight. And if you're just joining us, welcome. You are our, sincerely, you are our, uh, one of our honored guests tonight. My name is Ryan Anderson, and I am the campus minister here uh, with RUF at TCU. And um, we've been looking at the different psalms. We've skipped quite a few since 34 last week, and now we're at 51. And uh, we'll continue to look at the psalms the rest of the semester. But I wanted to, uh, I wanted to ask you a question. Um, what do you do when you're busted? When you're caught? When you know it? Um, would you imagine that God might have something to say about that? He does, right here in this psalm. I can't believe it, can you? And I'm really excited about what God has to say. A couple of weeks ago, you guys might remember, the cyclist Lance Armstrong uh, sat down with Oprah and he confessed to taking performance-enhancing drugs over the course of several years all of his titles were stripped from him, and it sort of rocked the, sh- the cycling world, though I would say most uh, were skeptical about his claims that he didn't take uh, PEDS uh, beforehand. Well, it, this was an incredibly fascinating piece of journalism, if you ask me, because um, most of the nation was actually watching this. I just thought it was actually kind of weird. Why do people want to see a man come clean? Confess. Oprah sat there and she pegged him with some of the questions. And I think that the thing that's the most telling is that I venture to guess that most people, whether religious or not, Christian or some other religion altogether, that most people found this fascinating because of this. They want to see truth named. And when truth is violated, we long to see it come out and lies actually named as such. It's quite intriguing to me, and maybe for you, that in a culture that is incredibly secular, that there are still longings for right and wrong to actually be named. Like for me, that's kind of interesting. 
Now listen, one of the most telling parts about Lance's confession was when he talked about image control. If you watched it, you might remember this. He's talking about when other people would raise claims about him or against his character, okay? They would say things about what actually turned out to be true, but listen to what Lance would say. He said, if I didn't like what somebody said, I tried to control that and said that that's a lie, that they're liars. Lance's story is a great picture, I believe, of how our culture longs for authenticity and truth. We long for things to be named as they actually are in reality. Until, guess what? Until, uh, until we're the ones sitting down with Oprah. Right? Then we don't really know anymore. I think you know what I'm getting about getting uh, getting at. Like Armstrong, we want to control, right? The dark narrative that really is ours. I'll say that again. Like Armstrong, we want to control the dark narrative that really is ours. King David had an Oprah moment too. If you were to um, sit down with him. And hear his story. You can actually find that in First Samuel chapter, I mean, Second Samuel chapter eleven and twelve. You would read of David looking out on his roof and finding a lady that was not his wife, who was married to another man named Bathsheba, bathing. And because he was king and because he was powerful, he had her brought into his court. And right then and there in the palace, he had sex with her. He impregnated her. And then, to sort of cover up his tracks, because he knew he would be found out, he was um, obviously the king. He was over her husband's work. Uriah, her husband, was an, an, an army officer. And David had Uriah's over officer put him at the front lines. And then he began to retreat faster than Uriah could. And do you know what happened to Uriah? Oh, a horrible accident. He got killed in war. And that's so bad. And then the next chapter later, God sends a prophet, Nathan, to David. And he calls him out on the carpet. And he says, God has seen this. And you know what? David confesses. And do you know where we get that confession? Voila. Right here in front of you in chapter 51 of the Psalms. This is his Oprah moment. And what's so amazing about it is, is that David's confession is radically different than Armstrong's. In fact, what David's confession is, I would like to call it the dynamics of repentance. It's like taking a watch and opening up the back side of it and seeing all the gears beginning to spin. In other words, we're going to take a look tonight at some of the inner workings of this idea of confession and repentance because David is actually telling us about it there in the psalm. And my hope is is that you'll resonate with it. I know I do. I know that I am a hot mess and I need God's grace. What about you? Is that true of you tonight? Well, listen to the three things that he'll tell us. Here we go. First of all, that brutal honesty, he's going to talk to us about the brutal honesty about the problem. He's also going to get us to see our complete inability to fix things. And then lastly, he's going to show us 
what authentic yielding really looks like to the God of all grace in the Scriptures. So, are you ready? Let's take a look. First of all, brutal honesty about the problem. If you'll notice there in verses 1-6, through you'll see that David is incredibly honest about two things in particular. First, he is brutally honest about this fact, that he is a sinner. Look at it there. There is no spin. There's no justifying, y'all. No finger pointing at somebody else. David says this. He says, since the day I was conceived, I've been a sinner. Not one day has passed when I wasn't one. Look at him there. Do you see it there? He says, for I know my transgressions. My sin is ever before me. Look, he doesn't just say like, I'm sort of bad and I did a bad thing, does he? He actually says, I am a sinner. No hiding. No blame shifting. Have you ever done that? Don't shake your head. It's somebody else's fault, right? David doesn't do that. We're going to find out why, but it's amazing to me. He can call a spade a spade. Secondly, he's brutally honest, and this is more important, about whom the sin is against. Remember, he has just slept with a woman that is not his wife and that is somebody else's wife, and he has had that woman's wife, I mean, that, that woman's husband killed. But do you notice what he says? Look in verse 4. Against you, you only have I sinned. Now, what's David saying? He is saying very simply that the sin underneath every sin is a cross against God. So that gossip that you're tempted towards when you talk about her, David is saying against you and you alone have I sinned. Now, that's shocking to me. That is shocking to me. Because here's why. Most people think of sin in terms of not doing bad things. And, you know, not, um, not being a bad person. But David is saying that it's so much more. David is actually saying that sin is always loving something that God made instead of God Himself. Let me clarify. David is saying in that moment with Bathsheba, what was more important than loving God was him getting some, put frankly. That was more important than him loving God. And then, instead of loving God, what was more important was him keeping his reputation. So how does he do that? Take Uriah out of the picture. He can cover up his tracks. You see, it's not just about doing something bad. It's actually... What David is saying is is that real sin, the way that it's talked about in the Bible, is always loving something else with your heart beside God Himself. That's what he's saying. Now, if you're me, and if I'm David, I'm going, how are you able to say this? How can you be so brutally honest? Because I'm not able to do that. (laughs) It's so hard. Right? But I want to show you guys, this is what David is saying. And I want to ask you, are you able to do that? Are you able to look at your life and call a spade a spade and say, the sin that's in my heart and my life 
It's against you and you alone, O oh God. I want to share something with you. The Apostle Paul, when he is writing his letter to the Philippians, you'll probably study this in the next couple of weeks, actually, so you should go to Bible study. He says this. He says that all of his best works, the, the best morality that he can muster for the entirety of his life is called what the Greeks use the word skubalon or skubalon. Does anybody in here speak Greek? Do you know what that means? Dung. That's what Paul says his best of words are, works are. The most moral that he can possibly be, be is poo. Paul. Paul. Not me. Paul. Utterly stunning. Can you be that brutally honest about your best of deeds? David can. And I'm saying that you can as well. We're going to be able to look at this how we can later on, okay? But that's the first thing. Being absolutely brutally honest about how, about how bad the condition, the problem really is. What else does David show us? Look in verses 7-12. through 12. He's going to show us the complete inability to fix things. David doesn't just tell of the depth of his offense and whom it's against. He shows us in these verses that he is actually helpless to do anything to change his circumstances. Look there in verse 7. I'm just going to run through. We got any English majors in here? Imperatives or what? Does anybody remember? Imperatives, right? They're like commands, requests, please. Look at them right here in verse 7. Purge me with hyssop. Wash me. Let me hear of joy and salvation. Hide, not your, hide your face from my sins. Blot out all my iniquity. Clean in me a clean, create in me a clean heart. Cast me not away from your presence. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Why is David saying all that? Because he knows he is completely unable to do any of it. Not a lick of it. He is not able to fix a dadgum thing in his life. David cannot clean up his own heart. He needs God to do it. And here's why. David simultaneously understands at the core of his being two important things. First, that he is completely unable to do anything about it and that God alone can do everything about it. That God alone can do everything about it. The fixing, y'all, starts with God, not with David. Let me share an illustration with you. Michael, will you click to the next um, slide there? There she is. That's Audrey. That's one of our twins. And this little chunk of adorableness is, um, has got quite a story that I need to share with you over the weekend. Even though she is incredibly cute with her big kissable cheeks, she too is a hot mess. A few days ago, um, Laura had left... And Audrey was in her little PlayStation some over there, not video game, but a little play toy. We actually don't know what to call it. And there was this smell emanating from her general area. Now, I walked over there, and she had had a massive diaper blowout. I mean, poo running down her legs, up her back. Yeah, until you get kids, that's what's happening, okay? That's happening to every single one of y'all when you get kids. So I take her... And I pick her up, and I take her onesie off, and I realize this is 
far worse than I would have ever thought because there is poo between the diaper and the onesie. So I don't know what to do with her. So I was like, here's what I'll do. I'll take her to the bathtub. We'll just get her underneath the faucet and we'll do that. So I take the diaper off, put it aside, and I turn the water on warm, stick her underneath the faucet, and she's loving it. The hot water is just coming her back. She's got happy feet. She's going crazy because she loves it. Well, here's the thing, though. Those little happy feet push down the plunger. That's, you know, the stopper in your drain. Yeah, now you guys know what's happening. All of a sudden... We got poo water everywhere. And she's playing in it. And I go, I got to get her out of this. So I have to go in, not too far, thankfully. I grabbed my daughter out of the poo water, and her poo water hands are rubbing all over mine with a big fat smile on her face. I think that you get the point, right? She was completely unable to do anything about her funk. Her stank was all over her, y'all. And she was not able to clean herself up. She needed somebody from the outside to come and rescue her. And that is exactly what David wants you to see. He wants you to see that you can do absolutely nothing to clean yourself up. You can do nothing. We need somebody else to come do this. What does this mean for us? First of all, you have got to see that the default position of your heart and my heart is to want to fix things between you and God. You'll try to clean up your act. You'll try to pull up your bootstraps and try harder. But listen... It pleases God to actually cleanse you. Let me say that again. It brings Him great joy to clean you up. Do you know that? There's incredible hope for you tonight because of that very fact. That it is pleasing to the Creator of the universe to clean your mess up. I want you to begin to believe that tonight. And the reason I know you struggle with it The reason I know that you struggle with actually believing it is because you can't be honest. Because you're afraid if you're honest, nobody will clean you up. And I'm telling you, David is saying, there's profound honesty here. That there is a God who delights, who delights in making you clean. That is good news, y'all. That is huge, huge news. If you sit around and try to clean up your own mess, let me tell you, you're swimming in feces. That's the way the Bible is going to talk about it. It's foul. It's foul. Won't you come to somebody who can actually do it for you? That's the good hope that David is getting at in the second point. Now, let's keep going. I want to look at this last point here of authentic yielding. The last point that he wants to make and this idea of this dynamics of repentance comes to us in verses 13 to 19. David is going to show us that what is required is authentic yielding. Now, what do I mean? Well, let me break this down by the word authentic and the word yielding. Michael, can you go ahead one more slide? There you go. What do I mean by authentic? David pleads for God to clean him up. And then do you notice what he says? Look there in verse um, 13. Then I, will tr- then I will teach transgressors your ways, 
and sinners will return to you. David is saying, your cleaning up my heinousness has utterly reoriented the pattern of my life, my character, and the trajectory that I'm on. Because of this, I will now be a man who tells others of this wonderful grace that I have found in you and you alone. David yields to what God's own purposes are for him in the world. Here's what I find staggering. That the mouth that called Bathsheba to bed with him and the same mouth that ordered Uriah to be killed is now praising God. That's staggering to me. It can be your hope too as well. But this is not just any sort of lip service here. It is actually deep. It's from the heart. In other words, it's, from, it's authentic. Secondly, what about the idea of yielding? What is, he, him, what is he talking about there? He's talking about this idea that you make God's purposes supreme in your own life. Look what David says. He says, O oh Lord... He says, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God. You will not despise. David is saying, more or less, that what matters to him is not him. What matters to him is God. And all this has come about because he's seen a God actually cleanse him. The last thing I want to make about this is this. Do you see those lines right there where David says, um, for you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it, but then he goes and he says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Do you know what that means? David is referencing the Old Testament temple language. And when he uses the word sacrifices, and when he uses the word burnt offerings, he's talking about two particular offerings that you can read about in Leviticus chapter 1 and Leviticus chapter 3. The first word sacrifices points to what is known as the peace offering. Now the peace offering was what the worshipers would have done, and what had been communicated in that offering was that there was now peace with God and man. That God now had fellowship with you as a worshiper. And the burnt offering was a marker of atonement. It was that they took a a full bull, you would slice its throat, and you would drain the blood out of it, and you would give that animal over to the temple. It was a costly sacrifice. And the point of it was to symbolize that the blood itself was to atone and to make payment for your sin. But do you notice what David says? He says, you don't want those things. What you want is a broken heart. What you want is contrition. David is saying that to offer those sacrifices apart from the heart means nothing. Y'all, listen to this illustration before we begin to wrap up. It comes from um, a guy named Charles Spurgeon. He says this, He tells the story of a king being given gifts. Listen to it. Once upon a time, there was a king who ruled over everything in the land. One day, there was a gardener who grew an enormous carrot. He took it to his king and said, My lord, 
This is the greatest carrot I've ever grown or ever will grow. Therefore, I want to present it to you as a token of my love and respect for you. The king was touched and discerned the man's heart. So as he turned to go, the king said, wait, you are clearly a good steward of the earth. I want to give you a plot of land as you freely, to you freely as a gift so that you can garden it all. The gardener was amazed and delighted and went home rejoicing. But there was a nobleman at the king's court who overheard this and he said, my, if that is what you get for a carrot, what if you give the king something bigger, something better? The next day, the nobleman came before the king and he was leading a handsome black stallion. He bowed low and said, my lord, I breed horses and this is the greatest horse I've ever bred or ever will. Therefore, I want to present it to you as a token of my love and respect to you. But the king discerned his heart and said, thank you, and took the horse and simply dismissed him. The nobleman was perplexed, so the king said, let me explain. The gardener was giving me the carrot, but you were giving yourself the horse. David is saying that to give the Lord anything Anything, it comes from down deep, from the heart. And David is saying that this is what happens when you begin to see that God reaches in in the midst of your helplessness and begins to cleanse you. Your heart begins to be changed. In other words, you begin to love Him and delight in Him for who He is. What do you make of this? I mean, really. Like, do you see that God is saying that all that stuff that you do for me, whether it be the good that you do or the bad you don't do, all the stuff you give to me, your time, your resources, and so on, all of the new leaves that you promise to turn over, they're great, but I don't need them. I want you. God says, I don't want your stuff. I want you. That's what I want. That's what David is saying. That's what he's getting at. This is incredible. Will you please just meditate on that? Will you please just take that home and begin to think about the sheer grace of God in that way? Well, after Lance um, gave his confession, it was interesting to read the news reports Several days after his interview, major news outlets wrote scathing reviews of his confession, saying that it was, quote, a confession without contrition. And that, quote, blaming yourself is not the same as telling it all, end of quote. In other words, Armstrong wasn't genuine enough. Y'all, I think that Psalm 51 is the key to it all. Why? Because it really is only in Christianity that you can be both brutally honest about your sin and at the very same moment be wholeheartedly loved and enjoyed and accepted. At the very same moment. There's your freedom. 
Because David knew that. He knew that. And it was the fact that he knew that it liberated him to be able to do this. The book of Hebrews tells us this is fantastic. That it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. But, there was another who actually gave His blood that was able to take away sin. It was Jesus. And as His blood poured out, you were made clean. Do you ever think about that? You were made clean. That's the great hope for you. You can be brutally honest about who you are, about your brokenness, and absolutely love in the same moment. Because when you look at the cross, you see Jesus literally taking the blame that you deserve for your guilt and loving you in the exact same moment. This really is the best news that you're going to hear tonight. I want you to be free. So here's the question. I'll ask it again. Caught. You've been busted. Now what? Now what? We pray. God, thank You for this night. Thank You for Your Word. How it comes to us and it shapes us. Will You please remind us of the great mercies of God even as we sing this song now. It's in Your name that we pray. Amen.